Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 166 of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. I'm your host Hugo Che and unfortunately this week my co-host Ralph Velasco wasn't able to make it. Uh, I think he's somewhere lost in the deserts of Morocco. Uh, I'm confident he'll soon be back as soon as he emerges from that, that part of the world. But I didn't want to uh, skip this interview because we have a very uh, interesting uh, uh, guest, a very compelling interview. And uh, our guest today is Pedro Kin, who is a Portuguese landscape photographer. Uh, even though he's Portuguese, he's based in Slovakia, of all places. And uh, not only that, but he typically travels chasing the lights in the most beautiful mountains and forests and fjords of Europe, favoring the cold landscapes and the raw nature of Northern Europe. And he says that the weather does not stop him from going after the perfect shot, be it in the northern lights of the Lofoten Islands, a snowy beach in Lithuania or a powerful waterfall in Iceland. Uh, he also dedicates some of his time to helping others improve their photography and editing skills through personalized one-to-one -one online courses. So welcome, Pedro. How are you doing? Uh, thank you for having me, Hugo. I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being with us today. Are you My home? Pleasure. Are you home today? Yes, I am. So I think you just returned home from Patagonia, right? Yes, I was there for three weeks. I had two back-to-back -back workshops. Great. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I would just like uh, uh, I was reading from your uh, from your biography on your website where it says that you you love the cold weather, which is kind <laughs> of interesting because you come from a, what is typically considered a relatively warm country. Uh, that is Portugal, which is probably not as warm as most people think, but still is uh, Southern Europe. But you you love cold places like the Lofoten Islands and Iceland and Norway and Lithuania and so on. So where did this love of the cold places come from? And I mean, you, you moved from Portugal to Slovakia, which probably is not as warm as Portugal. <laughs> how, how did that happen? Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, well, I don't like warm weather. I'm from Lisbon, which gets quite warm all year round for the most part. And um, I never really enjoyed the hot that much. So when I was 21 years old, actually, I moved to Ireland first. I was there for a couple of years and then I actually moved to Slovakia. So I, I really just feel better in colder environments, you know, usually in places like Portugal or Italy or Spain and things like that, you know, it just gets way too warm and it's not comfortable to work or to do anything. You just get lazy and it's just it's just not it's just not for me. Somehow I find cold weathers and cold landscapes much more appealing for me personally. Uh, has it something to do with your I don't know what your origins are because Keen doesn't sound like a Portuguese surname. 
if uh-huh. you wanted to tell about uh, the origins of your family, I don't know if you, if you're confident talking about that. Uh, sure. Uh, so actually, my grandma was Chinese, and mm. my origins, I, I'm half Portuguese, half Chinese, let's say. Mm. So that's why I have kin in my name. But my parents did born in Africa, in Mozambique. So they love the hot weather. We always traveled in the summer to more exotic places and always to beaches and so on. But somehow I didn't really follow their path and I, I just prefer the winter somehow. Oh, cool. Uh, how did you decide to move to Slovakia? So uh, when I was in Ireland, I actually met my my wife there. My wife is Slovak. Uh, so then it just came naturally for me to, to come to Slovakia. It's just love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you live in Bratislava or? I live close by to Bratislava, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful city been there a few years ago just for a little bit more than a, than one day but uh, would definitely love to to go back there and so more than welcome yeah so 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 close i mean we not many people realize that slovakia it's technically part of eastern europe but it's only what's that 90 kilometers from vienna Actually, it is considered Central Europe, not Eastern yeah. Europe. Uh-huh. And I really like it here because I'm in, in the center of Europe and I have Vienna very close. So I actually fly from Vienna all the time. And Vienna has flights everywhere for very good prices. So for me, being based in here, it's it's very, very good for my job. Yeah, but you said not Central Europe. But what, what, what do you have on your Eastern border? You have U- Ukraine. We have Ukraine. We have yeah. Poland, we have uh, Hungary, we have Czech Republic, and we have Austria. Okay. Those are all the borders. Cool. <laughs> so, to me, that's Eastern, but yeah. <laughs> well, according to the map, it's Central. I don't know. Okay. Okay, fine. I won't dispute that. That's okay. I'm, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> that's what Wikipedia says, at least. Wikipedia says it's Central Europe. Okay. Then yes. I wonder what Eastern Europe is, but it's okay. It's further. <laughs> it's further. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, but it's, I mean, Bratislava is definitely very central. I mean, it's uh, nested between uh, Prague and Vienna and Budapest. So yes, if you're traveling across Europe, it's really easy to reach. I remember getting on a train in Prague, traveling to Bratislava, and then from then that to Budapest. And it was yeah. uh, one of my favorite trips I ever did across Europe. And uh, really, all those places are close by, easy to reach, almost no borders at yes. least still nowadays uh, <laughs> uh you got the euro in slovakia right That's yes we have euro yeah. currency so it's even easy for for us to to travel to slovakia and not worry about passports and currencies oh. and so on that, that's a great absolutely part of, uh, of being and, uh, european and slovakia is not a very well-known country and it has amazing landscapes i love the mountains here so every time i have a chance i go to the mountains with my family or just by myself and I just, you know, I just enjoy mountains and, you know, Slovakia has, has a lot of them. So it's a fantastic place to hike and track and, you know, all these type of things. So there is um, amazing places here. Hopefully it's going to be more well known and more tourists are going to start coming over. Mm-hmm. But for now, it's still nice and quiet. Yeah, it was pretty quiet. Um, I mean, even Bratislava, which is yeah. um, starting to become popular. It's still when I was there, it was very quiet. So great place to be. Okay. Um, so we were talking about uh, more colder places, right? I mean, Slovakia is uh, it's maybe not as warm as southern Italy or Portugal, but it's not terribly cold. But as you said, you love to go to places like Iceland and uh, uh, Lofoten even, which is uh, yes. above the... Uh, the Ar- is Lofoten 
uh, above the Arctic Circle or just, yes, it is. Yeah, it is above the Arctic Circle. Sixty-eighth yeah. parallel, or something, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I would like to ask you to give us our, our listeners some tips and recommendations about cold weather about equipment, about gear, about uh, what to wear in those climates, if you want to, to share some tips and suggestions. Sure. So what I keep telling people is that there is no such thing as, you know, bad weather, only bad clothing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have good pairs of gloves, a good hat, um, thermal clothing usually I use, I usually use merino, uh, merino clothing uh, to help out in these types of, of, of places and uh, I hike in these places as well and good Gore-Tex boots help as well. In terms of camera gear, it doesn't really matter because cameras nowadays are, you know, they're perfectly fine working in those in those uh, atmosphere and yeah. those climates without any problem. But when it comes to you, I have very good gloves for me is one of the most important things as I often stay one, two hours waiting for the sunrise, you need to be warm. You need to keep warm and need to be warm. So I like to have a good pair of gloves, good thermal underwear, and you know, the normal, normal proper jacket as well. And I usually use the layer system. So I just, you know, as I need it, I'll just layer up more. I just put more jackets or sweaters or whatever I need. And when it gets warmer, I'll just take them off, for example, you know? Yeah. So it really depends where I'm going. And you know, if, the, if it's a place where I need to hike, I usually tend to dress more for the hike itself, not for the weather, because as you start hiking, you start sweating, and then once you stop, you're gonna get cold and you need to, to put jackets on. Uh, but when I go to places like uh, Lofoten or even Iceland, that most of the places are close by the car park, let's say, I usually take bigger jackets and I try to go for you know merino socks and, and those types of, of equipment. In terms of gloves, do we have those gloves? For photography, I mean, for us, it's complicated because we need to operate our cameras that nowadays have hundred little buttons and dials. Uh, what kind of gloves do you use? Uh, so actually, I am an uh, ambassador for Valoret oh. uh, photography gloves. So the benefit of these gloves is that in both of the tips of your fingers, you can there is a magnet and you can put your fingers outside, and you know your hands keep warm, but your you know your tip of your fingers are available to operate a camera. Mm -hmm. So I use those gloves all the time now and I swear by them. Like I've tried many gloves before and it was always a struggle uh, from ski gloves to normal gloves to the gloves that I can use myself on which they would be lighter and they would be, you know, easier to operate the camera, but it's just not the same because in those type of temperatures, you're just going to be cold. So I found being Valorette for being the best for me personally, uh, not just because I'm sponsored by them, but I really, really like them. And I only use uh, brands that I actually like. Yeah, of course. Uh, do you use a, a thin layer under your gloves so when you operate the camera, your fingers are still protected? Or I don't. No, you... I don't. I I have the their warmest glove that they have at the moment, and that one is enough for me. I have also the line, the liners, but I don't usually use under the gloves mm -hmm. because I'm a guy that usually have I have always warm hands, so I don't suffer with that too much. So for me, it's it's okay. And just the tips, you know, it doesn't get that cold and, you know, you don't need to have them outside all the time. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is enough. Interesting. I was considering buying some of those gloves. I've uh, heard uh, great things about them even. I didn't even know you were an ambassador for them. Yeah, I, I totally recommend them. Yeah, yeah. I was, but I wasn't sure whether to get the liners underneath or, or not. But. For me, obviously, it's, it's individual. For yeah. me, I don't need the liners, even though I have them and I use them when it's just, you know, two or three degrees outside or whatever. 
but for temperatures like Lofoten and Iceland, I haven't felt the need of using it uh, when I have the their top glove. Yeah, I was in um, only time I was in Norway, and actually the only time in my life I was that far north, I was in Senia, which is even norther than. than oh yes, 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 yes. It was February. It was mm-hmm. not that cold. I mean, it was just around zero, so I could. I mean, it's normal. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the temperatures in that area is not they're not that cold because they yeah. are most of, of them. They are close, very close by the sea. Exactly. Uh, so it doesn't get even Lofoten. It doesn't get that cold. It's usually around, you know, zero, minus one, minus two, something like that. The problem is the wind. When you are standing for an hour and there is a lot of wind, then you really suffer with the cold, not because of the temperatures themselves, but because of the winds. And you have a lot of gale force winds there as well. So you never know what you're going to get. So you always should be prepared. Yeah. Uh, just for clarity for the listeners that are from the US or countries where they use Fahrenheit, we are, we are talking Celsius centigrade, right? Yes. So, yes. <laughs> zero, it's zero Celsius, which is 32 Fahrenheit, uh, just for, for reference, <laughs> because people think, oh, zero Fahrenheit that's is true. really, really cold. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's much colder than... Uh, than zero centigrade so yeah that's reasonably it's cold but it's not yeah not ter- extremely terribly cold yeah but the wind factor i mean the, the wind chill factor of course it's very important to so it's important so dressing layers uh, and uh, good protection for your hands i guess that's the yes and, and head as well that's and head as well yeah of yes, course it's yes. the, probably the worst part to have your uh, head yes yeah ears freezing definitely you you want to protect and i usually i also use a a merino buff Mm -hmm. around my neck because i personally get sick very easily if if it's too cold and too windy and i get too much wind on my on my neck and i use the buff and when i need it i just put the buff up um, above my face so you know my mouth is protected even my nose is protected if it's just too windy or or too cold or if it's snowing too much i use it as protection as well great um Let's talk about Patagonia because you just returned from there and it was April. So first of all, we're talking about uh, weather and climate and temperatures. So what's the what's the weather there in April? So in April is the beginning of autumn in there. Mm. So it's not terribly cold. But with that being said, we got in those three weeks, we got all types of weathers. We got over 120 miles an hour winds. Oof. We got snow. We got rain. We got sunny days we got pretty much everything everything that you can imagine you will find in patagonia the winds in patagonia are pretty famous but it's not until you actually experience them that you really see what this is all about i've you know i've talked with colby and many many friends of mine have been there and they talk about the winds but nothing like experiencing them to see how strong they are and i've never been shooting or i've never been outside in conditions like in patagonia i mean we said 120 miles yes (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you, you cannot go outside with that wind. Yeah, it we, we, blow we you away. Winds. Yes. Yeah. Oh, great. So, what what brought you there? You were you said you were um, leading workshops there, but you can maybe give us a little bit more details about those workshops and the reasons why you went to Patagonia. Uh, totally. So, yeah, in Patagonia, I went to two workshops. Uh, I called them with Colby Brown, another mm-hmm. landscape photographer from mm-hmm. the U.S. Uh, we worked together a lot. Uh, so we, he has workshops there every year, and uh, from now on, I'm going to be joining him every year. We also do workshops in, in Lofoten, in Iceland, and we have a lot of others coming up, like the Dolomites and things like that. So 
pretty much I called it workshops with Colby. I'm also his uh, workshop manager and I work with him very closely on nowadays. So what uh, you, you did two workshops and uh, just uh, give us maybe um, a list of the, the locations or the kind of photography experience that the people who come with you on a workshop with you and Colby can get there. It's pure landscapes, uh, so is that what? Actually, no, in, in, depending of which place you are going. For example, in, in Patagonia, we have, let's say, 90% is landscape and 10% is wildlife. You know, mm -hmm. you can still see very interesting birds or you can see foxes or even pumas in, in Chile. So it can be a, it's a very interesting trip because you get a little bit of everything. You have a lot of landscape. So this is more focusing on landscape. But, but in case like it happened this year, in certain days, the weather wasn't the best. We were also able to shoot some wildlife, which was very interesting and kept people uh, engaged. Uh, we have all types of people joining our our workshops from all ages and all, all types of backgrounds. Also, all types of skills from beginners to advanced, you know, anybody can join our workshops and, you know, you'll always learn something. And it's very, you know, Colby has a lot of experience on the field. Colby has been going to Patagonia for 10 years. This was my very first trip there, uh, but hopefully it's my first of many. And I uh, wanted to ask, do you have any tips or suggestions for people who want to, to go there and photograph that area, how they should organize their trip? I mean... Besides, of course, going with you, but maybe they can go with that. <laughs> when you don't have worships running, what's the, your best tips for Patagonia? So dress accordingly. The weather there really can change within five, ten minutes. Take a, a zoom lens, a 100 to 400 would be my, my advice, because you are far enough from the mountains that you, you know, so you can get close and because of the wildlife as well. Uh, I would I would say take a wide angle, a mid range, and the zoom, and the zoom, and or you get a tele, teleconverter so you can shoot the mountains or the wildlife um, without getting too close. Uh, be ready to do some hikes because this is there are both both places we were in Chile and Argentina. They are both places uh, they have amazing hikes. So hiking around the area and knowing the area well would you know definitely help you out in terms of photography. So, yeah, if you're not going with us, just be prepared for the weather. That's one of the things I I think is the most important and take a, a zoom lens. And in terms of hikes, uh, isn't there the strenuous hikes? Uh, how, what's the typical length? You, uh, it depends. For example, in, in, in Argentina, we did two hikes. One of them was uh, only five kilometers. Mm -hmm. uh, there and back, of course. And then the second hike we did was around nine kilometers there and back. It was not uh, very hard hikes. They, they took around two hours or so to get there. The difficulty is that we were trying to get there for sunrise. So you need to start hiking around five in the morning mm -hmm. so you can get to the place and get time to prepare yourself. Which is not too uh, bad. I mean, you, you know, I was thinking it was, uh, you were going to say you need to start at three in the morning. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not too bad because because it is um, it's autumn. Yeah, it's autumn. The, the, sun is, the sun doesn't rise that, that early. Mm -hmm. So it's OK. Obviously, you have way more hikes that you can that you can do in the area. But if you are going there for the first time, there are, you know, these two hikes are definitely recommended. Uh, you know, nothing that it, it depends on how, how how good of a hiker you are and what landscapes you are looking for. Uh, so we got, you know, some kind of waterfalls. We got some lake reflections and things that, you know, photographers like. 
So you don't. I didn't find it that hard to hike there, and I recommend everyone, if the weather allows, because again, depending on the weather, um, definitely go hiking there. Uh, are they at an altitude, so you need to somehow acclimate to an altitude? Or... No, altitude no. is not is not uh, is not high at all, and also the hikes are not very very steep. It's around okay. 400 meters elevation maximum, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you carry a lot of gear with you when you do a hike like that, or? You try to uh, minimize the, the weight on your backpack? I always try to minimize the weight on the weight on my backpack, but even though I need to take my tripod, I take my zoom lens, my mid-range, and my wide angle. So I still take one camera, three lenses, mm -hmm. some filters, some memory cards, extra battery, water, some food, <laughs> and the tripod. So even though you try to minimize, you still have to take enough things and enough supplies. And for example, when you are in a workshop, we take, uh, you know, first aid kits and um so maybe 10 kilos satellite phones yeah around 10 10 to 12 kilos is what i carry on these hikes uh, more or less well, what do you shoot these days out of curiosity i'm using the the, the sony a7 III. Ah, sony okay yes great um you also mentioned the dolomites uh which uh, another region that you love and you know that that you love uh, what, what, what's great about the Dolomites? Maybe you can do a little comparison with Patagonia. I know they're just completely different, but just for people who are not really familiar with those regions. Okay, well, the Dolomites was a place I went scouting for the first time last year. Uh, and it's in, you know, uh, north of Italy. And mm -hmm. I have to say it's one of the most amazing places I have been. Uh, the diversity of mountains that you have in the Dolomites for me is, is mind-blowing. Certain mountain formations are comparable, let's say, between Patagonia and the Dolomites, the shapes of the mountains. There are tons of places that you can hike. You have beautiful turquoise lakes all around the Dolomites. And it's, it's just a place that I love. And I actually, go, I'm going back there in May, and then I'm going there with you in October. Mm -hmm. So I am just keep scouting that place because that place is just, it's just amazing and uh, it has so much potential. And I feel that at least for photography, it's people are going there, but they're not going there as much yet. So it's a place that I like. I love to photograph. For me, I think, I mean, I've never been to Patagonia. I've been to the Dolomites a few times. And uh, the Dolomites, I, I think, are, are the landscape there. There's the population density is much higher, of course, than it is in Patagonia, right? There are towns and villages, yes. and houses and beautiful churches, which it's not as wild as Patagonia, of course, but in a, in a way, those uh, those churches, those little villages offer a great uh, subject for landscapes. I mean, uh, I've taken myself photos there with those little country churches in the mountains on lawns with those beautiful peaks in the in the background. They're just uh, stunning. It's uh, so, so different. Oh, well, absolutely. Like uh, the Dolomites, you have the benefit as well because there are so many you know, towns and, and villages that to have great food all around for all your trip, for example. Uh, Dolomites, yes, it's not as wild as, as Patagonia and you can feel that when you are there. Uh, plus there is many, for example, when you hike in Patagonia, most of the most of the times you have only campsites where you can stay, while in the Dolomites, most of the places have restaurants, even with places where you can stay overnight. So in that sense, yes, the Dolomites are not as wild, but they are so vast as well and there is so much because you know in, in Patagonia there are there is certain areas where you cannot go yet 
is not really open for public, let's say. And in the Dolomites, it's very explored, which is good. And it's also easy to get out of the crowds and the masses because you don't need to do all the hikes that everybody else does. You know, as a photographer, you are always looking for, you know, obviously less people and good and good subjects. And there is so much in certain areas like um, Trecime, there is so, so much to photograph in just one area that you could stand there for a week and most likely wouldn't find every single spot, you know? So, of, and getting there, it's easy as well. A hike there takes around two hours. Yeah. So... Uh and you, you mentioned the great food, of course. Uh, I don't know yeah. how's the food in Patagonia. Is there... Well, I have to say the food was very good, oh, uh, okay. especially in the Argentinian side. The, the food was very, very good. Lots uh, of meat, I guess. Yes, a lot of meat. Uh, but it's a small town, you know, in El Chaltan. Has, it's very small. It has around 350 people living there. So oh. it's a really small place. But uh, but it's, it's very well prepared and they have enough tourists all year round, I suppose. So, yeah, it's... You don't have as many options to eat, even though we found always very good food. Uh, but it's more wild and you also have, you know, with that comes the wildlife as well around, you know, just on the way there. On the way to the mountains, you see a lot of, of wildlife as well, you know, which in Italy that doesn't happen. So you mentioned that we are going to be together in the Dolomites uh, in October. And I'm just going to uh, take a couple of minutes to let everyone know in case they're interested in uh, they want to come with us. We are, what we are organizing there is a is kind of a, a scouting trip more than you know. It's not really going to be a workshop, but we are we decided we wanted to to go there together, and but we are looking for companions. So if anybody who is listening to this uh, podcast wants to come to the Dolomites with us, uh, we just uh, what we're going to do is to rent a car and go around for uh, I think it's going to be a week. And just let me just check the dates. It's going to be October 14 to 20, 2019, of course. Uh, and you can come with us. I mean, we we're going to get a car, so we have two seats available. And anyone uh, first come for served, we just uh, just uh, we're just going to take care of uh, organizing the itinerary, finding the accommodations, uh, uh, planning the the location where we are going to. Uh, making sure that we get at the right place at the right hour to get the best light, uh, optimizing uh, travel time. So we are sure to cover as many locations as possible. And of course, I mean, being Italy, being the Dolomites, going to, to get the best food <laughs> we can possibly, <laughs> that we can possibly get. It's going to be very, uh, I mean, in a way, it's going to be very relaxed. It's not going to be a workshop. We're not going to give a lot of instruction. But uh, it's going to be friendly. Uh, we're going to shoot together. And of course, uh, both you and me, I mean, we personally, I never refrain from answering any questions I get. So it's not going yeah. to be a formal teaching uh, classroom, but we are going to be available for, for any questions. So uh, I invite everyone who might be interested in uh, touring the Dolomites with us to, to get in touch. Uh, you can find uh, a, a link to the to that uh, tour on my tours website at tours.ucphoto.me. I think Pedro, uh, if you haven't uh, yet done it, maybe by the time we will uh, um, uh, this uh, interview goes live, you might have a link on your own website. So pretty easy to find. But just uh, get in touch with us, and uh, we're going to give you 
All the details about this is going to be one week uh, in October 2019 on the Dolomites. And I think we're going to have uh, lots of fun. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I have to add it to my website. I just arrived you know, from Patagonia recently, so I didn't have time yet. But yes, feel free to, to reach out. And uh, even though this is not a workshop, you know, the teacher in me always comes out when someone asks, even if it's a stranger or whatever, you know, it's it, it always comes out. I've have been helping people for a very long time and it's just natural for me to to help out with whatever questions anyone would have. So, you know, it's not really a workshop, but, you know, we would we would still help you out anyway. And not being a workshop is going to be quite cheap. So let's uh, let's see who who wants to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah my, myself, too. I mean, I'm really uh, education minded. I love to share with uh, with anyone everything I know about photography, about landscape photography, about the area, about the history of the area and so on, which is uh, it's a great thing about the Dolomites also the the amazing history of that place. It's been uh, in the middle of Europe, contested between different populations and countries. And uh, World War One was fought there, so there's a lot of history about that war. Even with you can find little bits of metal from the uh, shells or helmets or things like that on those mountains. It's uh, it's incredible, really. And thinking of, it's always amazes me of given how rugged, how unforgiving that landscape can be, that soldiers and armies used to spend whole winters there just fighting each other. And it was really, must have been really incredibly hard for them. And the history of those places still, those histories permeate those places. It's, uh, it's just great, not only from a landscape point of view. Okay, so we talked about the Dolomites again. Just uh, reach out to us, go to my website at tours.ucphoto.me. You'll find a, a link to this uh, tour if you want to know more. Uh, let's let's talk maybe about uh, some other places now. We don't want to uh, do too much uh, uh, commercial stuff here. Uh, give something informative to our audience. Uh, I wanted to ask you if you could leave tomorrow and money wasn't an issue where would you go to and why <laughs> so there are two places in the world that i'm dying to photograph and uh, one of them is new zealand and the other one is canada yeah so i I'm, i really want to go to new zealand and explore new zealand because of the landscape there it's 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 amazing and i keep seeing pictures and you know i just have to go to that place you know new zealand and canada canada before because of the lakes i have envisioned a few pictures I would like to take in Canada even though I've never been there there are certain places where I really would like to to photograph with some specific conditions uh, and eventually hopefully one day I will be able to do that uh, for now we'll see I, I don't even know which one I'll go first I believe New Zealand will be first in Canada but yeah this would be the two places where I where I would go tomorrow if I could and are there any places or any trips that you're definitely going to next, even if there are places that you've already been to? Uh, well, I'm going to, to the Dolomites again to mm -hmm. scout in, uh, in a month. So next month, actually next month starts tomorrow. But yeah, next month I'm going to the Dolomites um, to do more scouting. Uh, after that, I'm going to Iceland uh, for another workshop. 
uh, in the end of uh, June, in the end of June, beginning of July, I have the summer uh, workshop in Iceland. So, and this, these are the two places that I have next. Uh, I'd like to ask you about Iceland. It's a kind of place where everybody wants to go to, and myself included. I've never been there. I'd love to go there. But it's also the place where a lot of people keep saying that it's being, I mean, it's overridden with tourists and photographers, that now it's really problematic maybe to to get good shots there. What, what's your impression? What's your view of the, of the place? Do you think it's still worth going to Iceland? Uh, it's always worth to go to Iceland, honestly. Iceland is, it's a beautiful country. It's probably for, it's, I wouldn't say it's my favorite. I don't have a favorite country, but if I had to choose just one, because of the diversity of the landscape, maybe it would be Iceland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I like to do and what I advise people to do at in the summer, for example, because they have 24 hours light, what we do in our workshops is we change the, the day with night, mm-hmm. in, in theory with night, because the sun takes three hours to set and three hours to rise. So in theory, you have six to seven hours of amazing light for photography which is the not gold, something that the you golden get. hour lasts for six hours basically. yes almost yeah that's 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 the thing so and because of that because you change um, the day with night the tour buses and so on they don't run during the night they run during the day only so because of that you can avoid a lot of the crowds because we are coming into landscape into the places when most people already went back to bed you know so you arrive to a place two three four in the morning nobody's there anymore yeah. and then I go, i'm going to bed usually around eight nine depending of of the weather when everybody starts with the tours and things like that so by doing this you allow yourself a little bit more uh freedom because there is not so many people shooting in 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 iceland during those times so that's how we avoid the crowds or we try to avoid the crowds of course there are many photographers doing this as well but at least it's not as many as in the winter, for example, you know, in the winter is much harder to do that because in the winter you only have those amount of hours to shoot sunrise and sunset. And then, you know, it gets dark pretty early and then it's more of the aurora and hunting, you know? I see. Yeah. I'm going to Scotland in, in, what's that? Three weeks from today. I mean, we are recording this on April 30. Uh, This will be uh, probably out next week. That will be at the beginning of May. I'm going to Scotland in, in, three weeks and I was checking the uh, times of sunrise and sunset and while not as uh, extreme as Iceland uh, it's still pretty uh, it, the sunrise is pretty early it rises before 5 a.m. and oh. sets at around 10 p.m. Uh, at least in the Isle of Skye so I know it can be that's another place that has become really popular and crowded but I'm expecting that it 4 a.m. when the, the light starts coming out <laughs> or at 9.30 p.m. the sun is still above the horizon or even at 10.30 p.m. you still have light. There will be not many people around there. So I think that's a, that's a very good <laughs> suggestion. So maybe go to Iceland in, in the uh, mid of summer. Yes. To be yes. And actually, Isle of Skye is a place that I've been thinking about going for a while now. I actually have a list of places. I did my own scouting only behind the computer so far, but I have a list of places I wanted to go and scout. So eventually, I also have to get there. That's the problem with landscape. You need to get everywhere, huh? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> going, going back to Sky, I've been there in October. I'm going back this May 
and next year we have uh, another tour coming up in May of 2020 so for me it's uh, <laughs> lots of uh, visits to Scotland which is a place that I love and if you haven't been there I definitely recommend that you that you go there the, the landscape there is just uh, it's just amazing uh, probably maybe not as extreme or varied as Iceland but still has a lot going for it good to know good to know okay so I think we are at the end of this interview uh, we talked about uh, Patagonia we talked about Iceland we talked about Dolomites in Scotland and I think we've given uh, a few good tips for people who want to shoot in colder climates uh, so that's uh, I'm sure our audience will appreciate it before we wrap this up is there anything else, anything else you would like to to say uh, not really. Uh, well, you can find me on my website, uh, pedrokinphotography.com. Uh, is also Pedrokin Photography is also my my Instagram and my Facebook. So if anybody wants to follow me, they can follow me there and find my whatever workshops we have uh, coming up. Uh, I update my website quite regularly, so everything should be there. And uh, thanks a lot for having me here. And uh, that's all I have to say. Oh, you're great that you have update your website regularly because most of the people will say, "Oh, my website is really outdated. I need to fix it." So I try, I try to keep it as updated as possible. Obviously, after workshops, it's a bit harder. Once you know, when I'm in the workshop, uh, it's not possible. But after workshops, it takes me a while to get back into normal life. But once that happens, then I I bring you know I bring uh, reviews and yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I've seen your website. It's, my website. It's, it's really. <laughs> great and useful you have some great photography up there and we will uh, uh, put a link to your website in the show notes uh, to your workshops to the tour that we are going to do together in Dolomites this coming October and to, to everything we've mentioned in this maybe also to Valorate Globes because I mean I think they deserve to be to be publicized because um, I'm trusting you they're, they're great I've been they're on my wish list to get when I go to Iceland <laughs> oh, you, you, will and, you will not regret it I guarantee no, you pro that. probably not for Scotland it's May it's still relatively warm so not there but maybe for my next uh, trip to colder climates I will get a, well, a pair. you might need it in the Dolomites in October actually <laughs> yeah yeah uh, of course I mean I was there in January it was pretty windy yeah. and cold so <laughs> Uh, I'm going to, to need some. So that's uh, that's really all for uh, for this interview. I would like to to thank you for for being with us, Pedro, today. Uh, it's been uh, really great, and looking forward to seeing you in the Dolomites soon. Uh, and for all of our listeners, just reminding them that they can find this episode and all the others at our website, ttim.photo, uh, especially this one is episode 166, so you will find it at ttim.photo slash 166. Uh, and as for me, uh, you can find everything about me at my uh, main website at uh, www.ucphoto.me and for all of my tours, including the Dolomites one, at tours.ucphoto.me. Finally, uh, you can find everything about my co-host, Ralph Velasco, who, as I said, was not uh, available for this uh, interview today, but he'll soon be back with us. You can find everything about him at photoenrichment.com and on social media as at Ralph Velasco and as at photoenrichment. So that's really all for today. Now let's get out and shoot. <laughs>